Inspired leadership to me means being genuine. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Hey there, and welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. It's awesome to have you back. I'm your host and executive coach, Terry Lepofsky. We're here to explore the idea of organizational culture and to learn more about why culture fit may not actually be what you're looking for as an organizational leader. Joining us today to explore this topic is an amazing leader in her own right. Susanna Crabtree is the head of Audgers Burnson's office right here in Ottawa. Susanna specializes in leadership assessment and development, as well as the recruitment of executives for public, private, and nonprofit organizations across the region and around the globe. When it comes to recruiting the best people to fill critical roles and developing your leadership team, you can't find anybody who has more expertise than Susanna and her team. Susanna, thank you so much for coming on the show and welcome to the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Thanks, Terry. It's a real pleasure to be here, and I'm grateful that you thought of me for such an interesting topic. So before we get into this, we have a tradition on this show that I know that you're aware of. So here's the question, who or what inspires Susanna? It's a great question. Who or what inspires me? And I have to say I love tradition in this circumstance, because if I didn't know this question ahead of time, I could have spoken for a couple of hours <laughs> and not been very succinct. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So, but thankfully, I think today, Terry, the answer is pretty easy because I'm actually quite passionate about leadership and strong leadership. It's a topic that has always inspired me. It's one I find utterly fascinating. And it's actually one of the things I love about my work with Audrey Simpson. Leadership style, I think, is something that we might talk about briefly because it's a really hot topic right now. You go onto Google and talk about leadership books and leadership styles, you'd find there are probably more than 15 or 20 different identified styles. Yeah. And that's not what I'm necessarily talking about today. The work that I am really fascinated by and what inspires me is to identify and develop leadership, not focusing necessarily on someone's specific style, but really on what their key competencies are and what makes them strong. When I think about what I want to be myself, Terry, I'm really striving to be a strength-based leader. And that's something that I am looking for in candidates and seeing out in the marketplace today and that I find inspiring. These are people that I want to follow. I look for leaders who are genuine and who know their own strengths. But beyond that, these are people who are able to put that even aside and look at the strengths of their team and look about how to nurture and grow those strengths and then use them to the organization's advantage. One of the interesting things I think about this is what is not said. And what is not said is you don't look at your team and focus on their negative attributes. And that's actually quite a natural thing to do, to look at your team and focus on perhaps negative areas for development and then offer them ways to improve those areas. And of course, that's important to a degree. But what is even more important is looking at their strengths and then saying, how am I going to use this? How am I going to pull this out of each individual team member and make a stronger team out of it. And why I find it inspiring is because to be able to do that requires a whole bunch of critical thinking. It requires someone who's really adaptable, and it requires someone who is modest enough to say, I'm going to put my own needs, my own skills aside, and look at the strengths of my individual team members above my own. And I'm going to take some risk here. It's going to be for the greater good of the organization. 
And so from a holistic perspective, that's what inspires me. This is really something that's near and dear to my own heart. I think about most of the organizations that I've worked with over the last bunch of years, and I think about the easy way that managers go about trying to develop their people. And the easy way is they say, ah, you know what, you better work on that because you're not really up to par on that. Whether it's a habit or a skill or competency, that I think is one of the easiest ways to manage people. I don't think it's very effective for one key reason, especially when it comes to promoting people or hiring people. Do you go for the people who have worked on their deficiencies and brought them up to the average level? In other words, do you aim for those people who are mediocre? No, of course not. You look for people who are strong in one respect or another respect that manages to meet the needs of the organization at that time or for a longer period of time. In other words, you look for people who have built on their strengths and they are towering strengths. They're people that bring something to the table that others just cannot. Those are the people that get hired and those are the people that get promoted. That's, it's a really good point. And the one thing that I would add to that, Terry, that I think is really interesting too, is that there's generally a reason that someone might have a weakness and it may be because they don't have any passion in that area. So if you're trying to bring a team member forward and really promote them, then focusing in on their weaknesses is likely not going to be super successful because they may not feel passion in that area in the first place. When you're trying to keep someone focused on something and driven and passionate, focusing in on something where they don't have that natural drive is not necessarily the way to achieve success. Early in my career, I had a boss that said, you should work on your financial skills. For me, working on financial issues is kind of like fingernails on a chalkboard. <laughs> it just doesn't fit well. I can't sustain my attention very long. My mind starts to wander. I start thinking about all of the wonderful things I'd rather be doing. So point taken, a really good point. Let me turn our topic just a bit and shine a light on what it is that you've been doing for your clients and helping them find the right fit for executive and leadership roles. Audgers Burnson is a global leader in executive recruitment and placement. You guys have 50 offices around the planet. As head of the practice here in the National Capital Region, you and your team are doing some amazing things to help organizations fill those senior vacancies and develop the senior talent into those strong leaders. And that can't be an easy task. And I've often wondered how you do it, how you become such a successful force in this highly competitive market, earning the loyalty of your clients, securing some of the highest profile clients. How do you do that? This is a great topic. I really appreciate you asking it, Terry. As a little bit of background, I'm now approaching two years with the firm. And for me, it was a little bit of a transition, not only in organization, but also in roles and in career. For me, the great part is that I get to continue working with some of the same great clients I had before and also some new ones. The conversations I'm having with my clients are quite different, and they're really focused on talent and leadership. And thankfully, that aligns pretty nicely with my passions that I mentioned before. Yeah, of course. But when you make a career change, one of the first things that you do, this is actually true of when you make a change in role, you need to sit back and watch and listen and absorb. When I started to do that, I heard a new word, and it was a word that I wasn't necessarily expecting. And the word was culture, referring to organizational culture. Something I'd like to talk about today is that culture always seemed to be partnered with the word fit, culture fit. I started to see some issues with that pretty early on. Tell me more about that. I think there's two points to make here to set the stage a little bit. 
First of all, what is organizational culture? I'm not a dictionary, but I can use Google as much as anyone else. <laughs> when you look up the theme of organizational culture, you get a pretty consistent message back. And the message is, it's a group of shared assumptions and values and beliefs that govern how people might behave within an organization, that it's strong values that influence the people in your organization. Yeah. This might even dictate how people dress, how people act, and how people perform in their job. So that's interesting to me. That's culture. Often an organization will talk about defining their culture and do it through their mission and values. Intrinsically, that's really, really appealing. That's the first piece of, I'd say, setting the stage. The second piece is that in almost every conversation I have with organizational leaders, when they talk about what they're looking for in their talent, what they're looking for in their leadership, things like we want people who innovate. We want people who can deal with disruption and actually disrupt themselves. We want a diverse group and we want an inclusive group. And inclusion to me means welcoming new perspectives and broadening your own viewpoint by listening to and including someone else's view. When I look at those two points, the definition of organizational culture, and then what are we looking for in our leaders, there's some conflict here. Because are we really looking to hire new leaders in our organizations who fit in to a pre-existing set of shared assumptions and values and beliefs? Or are we actually looking for new leaders who are going to bring in new viewpoints and lead? by openly considering innovation and disruption and differences from the existing culture. What a great, great idea. It is. It's starting to get out in the marketplace a lot more, but it's really interesting because the research is starting to support this too. There's this conflict that's growing within organizations because they have an intrinsic desire and it's natural to hire people that fit in, who get along and who work well together within an organization but that it rivals the idea of diversity, and diversity includes gender and ethnic diversity, as well as many other forms. And the fact is that research shows that this kind of diversity correlates positively with profitability. There's a business reason behind this as well. I'm finding this to be a really interesting topic today. Do boards and senior executives need to have a little bit more courage to hire somebody that perhaps is a little bit outside of the established culture? I think so. I think they need to have a little bit more courage and also just have a little bit more awareness that perhaps what they're doing is building a culture. Of course, they're proud of their culture because it aligns with their mission and their values, but understanding that they might need to flex beyond that and that the diverse viewpoints around the table are going to make the company stronger, even if it takes longer to reach consensus on a decision. And one of the things that I'm trying to talk to my clients about is let's not talk about fit and let's talk about contribution. Let's talk about cultural contribution. If you have a stated mission and values as an organization, then what does your new leader bring to that organization that strengthens or even enriches the scope of your mission and of your values? How do they make a contribution that makes your organization stronger and more dynamic and more inclusive? That's the conversation that we need to start promoting. In good news, I think we're not only promoting it, but we're starting to see some action as well. You're asking your clients to try to picture what piece of the jigsaw puzzle might actually fill in the picture for their organization more brilliantly or, or more three-dimensionally. Yes, I am. We need to almost be more specific than that because, of course, it's really hard to look at that. We're not all good at jigsaw puzzles, and this is a tough one. 
<laughs> yeah. It takes some tools to recognize how you might welcome these new diverse viewpoints and how to potentially avoid some of the pitfalls of simply hiring in someone who I'm sure is talented, but who fits in perhaps too well with the existing culture. This is starting to really paint a picture for me about why you're able to really dominate this space as well as you have globally. Mm -hmm. Audrey Spurnson has really developed this space in ways that I think other organizations just haven't been able to keep up. And I think that this is perhaps one of the keys to it is challenging your clients to really think through this and offering them tools mm -hmm. to be able to do that. What sort of tools would you use, Susanna? Well, I'll talk to you about three tools and three practices that I'm seeing in the marketplace that I think are really doing something to take action on this issue, to bring it beyond just the conversation about diverse perspectives, promotions, and hiring, and sort of changing thinking patterns that I think is really, really neat. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing that I think we need to do, and I have a couple of examples that I think will be of interest to your listeners, are just how to consciously address bias. And of course, we're now talking pretty openly about bias with respect to talent management. One of the things that we talk about pretty openly, and this is fairly well known, is one of the big pitfalls between an interviewer and a candidate is something called affinity bias, which essentially is the bias towards associating with somebody quite strongly because they're like you. Yeah. So when you speak to someone and find something in common, you generally like them better. That's pretty simple. If you're thinking about it and you think, well, I fit into my company very well, and that's why I've been asked to interview all these people, and this person's a little bit like me, well, this, this person's probably going to fit in too. Easy. But there we are, right into culture fit so quickly. And that's unconscious, and it's also natural. So it's a pretty positive force that when you meet someone new, you try and actively find a commonality with them. And so it's an awareness that we need to consciously work against that. Yeah, I'll say. I would say there are probably dozens of different types of bias. We won't get into all of them, of course, but some of them are really, really relevant to recruiting into talent management. And it's not just things that we're speaking frankly about today, like gender and race and disability, sexual orientation. But I would say that speaking about those biases quite openly has brought them to the forefront. Yeah. Even just as an example, I was thinking about this discussion, I guess it was last week. I was sitting on the couch at home and my son was sitting next to me watching the NHL hockey game. He was streaming it. The announcer was talking about the theme of tonight's game, and that was new for me. I don't watch that much hockey. I don't ever remember there being that many themes. Yeah. But the theme that evening was the LGBTQ community, ensuring that, and here is a quote, uh, the game is for everyone. And they talked about that for five minutes while I sat and sort of quietly listened in, and my son, who's eight, took all of that in. And I thought, this is cool. I mean, this is real change, and it illustrates what I'm talking about. So even bringing that to the forefront is really, really important. Yeah, that is cool. I think there are some other assumptions that we make, too. And some of those other assumptions are perhaps a little more subtle. And I don't know if your listeners could think about the last time they might have interviewed someone or sat in on a panel. And did they make judgments, for example, about someone's accomplishment? Did they think, you know what, that was really luck, not skill? Or that was really skill and not luck. Mm. And why did you come to that conclusion? How important were the shoes that someone was wearing to the interview? How important was that power suit and the way they presented themselves? Do we give too much weight to that or too little weight to that? And the affinity bias, which is strong, 
Do you feel a link to a candidate because they went to the same school as you, for example, or because you share the same hobby and you both like to go for a run in the morning? Is that important or is it creating a bias as you interview people? I think everyone would agree. We've all been there. And of course, we have fallen into that trap. It's a sorting mechanism that we do unconsciously. I want to point out, and I do have an example coming up in terms of this can get in the way of maybe your true objective, which is to hire someone who is different from you and might think differently. Definitely could get in the way. I can see that for sure. Mm -hmm. Just to give you a little more insight in terms of how unconscious this is, studies are now showing that there are elements of language that are used in a job ad or even a job description that align better with male or female characteristics. Even the language that we're using can create unconscious bias, and that's accidental, and it's not even wanted, but it is there. There's more and more to come on this. I'm convinced we're going to be talking about this for the years to come. Well, this is where the experts come in, right? Mm -hmm. This is where the people who have been around the block and got the t-shirt many times can come in and really help us to eliminate some of these unconscious biases, sort of get us going in the right direction so that when we do end up with a new person within the office or the environment or the organization, that person is really going to be there in a position where they can contribute some value. I fully agree. I have a client here in Ottawa who has taken a really conscious, deliberate measure to work against this. And I've been really impressed with their approach to the point that we're looking to introduce it ourselves with our clients. And I expect that will happen in 2019. So to give you an example, this client has very large selection committees. These committees can be 10 people on the committee. Right. Prior to launching the search, so they might say, you know, we're looking for a new CFO. They invite an expert to come in and speak with the committee. And the expert spends 30 minutes presenting and discussing different types of bias that might happen, giving the committee tips and tools to use during the hiring process, openly describing the common biases, bringing them to the forefront and saying, you're about to launch on this. This is very important. This is why. And here's how you can drastically decrease the chances of falling into these pitfalls. As I say, it's something that I would like to start providing in 2019. I think that's great because it keeps everything front of mind. It keeps all of those unconscious, unintentional types of activities to a minimum. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a great example. Thank you for that. No, you're welcome. I thought it was fabulous as well. Okay, so that must be the first one then. So what would be the second and the third one, Susanna? So the second and the third one are linked. I think they're also very, very important and a real trend that we're seeing in the marketplace. First of all, using psychometric assessment. Psychometric assessments to enhance your impressions in a search. We're really seeing these becoming a more and more popular tool in leadership development and also in, in the hiring process. So psychometrics, of course, are really interesting when used in isolation. But what we see much more of is using them as a tool in our toolkit to maybe eliminate some of those biases or perhaps even just reduce them quite drastically. And the beauty of an assessment is how objective it can be. Just to give you an example, I've been running a cool pilot with some of my clients here in Ottawa. And what we do is put top candidates in a search through a pretty straightforward personality inventory. And then when I present my candidate to the client, I have my own impressions along with an objective psychometric result to use as tools to describe that candidate to my client. And this is really great because it helps me validate my impressions or even reduce my own biases. And I hope it does the same for my client as well. And the other great thing that this does is that if we do identify something, a strength, or perhaps even an area that might not be as strong in a candidate, 
we can use the results of those psychometrics to come up with special questions for the interview. For example, if you had a job that requires a really process-oriented approach, but the individual's psychometrics suggest they're sort of a big picture thinker, then we might probe on that point. And you're going to have to think about a process and see how a candidate tends much more towards big picture thinking might address that. That's very smart. The assessments I find are not just fantastic for providing that objective information, but the reliability and the validity of these are so strong that they make, I think, an indispensable piece of the puzzle. I think you're absolutely right. More and more employers are agreeing with you, Terry. It's not an expensive tool, but it offers so much insight. I think that that leads in really nicely to the third thing that we're really seeing, which is using those assessments, not just for hiring, but also to elevate your team that you have today and showing the group that you have strong leaders within your organization. We're making an investment in you using those assessments and other competency-based leadership approaches to develop your team for succession planning, for coaching. There are a lot of different ways that these tools can be used. And what we're seeing with some of our clients is that this is really highly valued by the team. And in some cases, it's even more valued than, for instance, a salary increase. Mm -hmm. For an organization to turn around and say, we believe in you and we're going to help develop you and this is the tool that we're going to use, that is really, really respected and feels like a real buy-in to your employees. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. That is for sure. So let me just go over this again now. You said that there were three things that you are doing that are really making a difference. And that first one is that quick discussion that you talked about your client doing with the selection team to help remove those biases or shine a light on potential biases so they become more aware of them. The second thing is using the psychometric assessments during the search process. And then the third point that you made was also bridging the use of those psychometric assessments into the overall process, including elevating existing leaders or people within the organization. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And these are all really powerful tools and great examples of things that I'm seeing employers do today to promote culture, to promote cultural contribution but avoid what I would call the trap of culture fit. I think the success is written all over the place for Audgers Bernson, for you in the office in Ottawa. Every time I turn on LinkedIn, I'm seeing that your organization is actually involved in the recruitment and selection of some of the highest level leaders within this entire country. Bravo for the results that you guys are getting and the representation that you've got for your clients. Thank you very much. I'm really proud of the work that we're doing, not only here in Ottawa, but also across the country. And you're right, we have some really talented people working with some really great clients, and we're really proud of those relationships. Before we close out, here's a couple more questions for you. What challenges do you see facing a lot of the leaders out there today? That's just a great question, Terry. Of course, there are quite a few challenges facing leaders today. I think I would talk to you about one key one, and, and that is the absolutely astronomical speed of change in the workplace. The thing about change in the workplace today, for many organizations, it's hugely disruptive, but it's also really difficult to predict. And so that's a big challenge for leaders, I think, today in every organization. But it's also even more support for what we've already talked about. And again, we need to start hiring to make sure we have a diverse set of viewpoints around the table who are going to help us through that change. Because you don't know which kind of strengths you're going to need to help you tomorrow. But if you've already got them around the table, then you can see how you're going to be able to hit the ground running to address those challenges. And I would say that this is something that's already being recognized 
in the marketplace. The fact is that one of my most common interview questions now, and this may surprise you, how do you deal with change management? And I'm always looking for an example of an experience where you led a team through a significant organizational change. And every last one of my clients, even those who are incredibly stable and don't necessarily know where the next big change is coming, are looking for people who have experience in change management and who can successfully lead a team, navigate them through it as smoothly as possible. Yeah, I think stepping out of our comfort zones is one skill that is very important, but helping other people to step out of their comfort zone. Now, there's a real art. There's probably some good science in behind it for sure. There's a real art there for sure. Absolutely. It takes a, a little bit of practical thinking and a little bit of gut. Now, that's what I call insight. Thank you for that, Suzanne. Okay, here's my last question for you. What does inspired leadership mean to you? My favorite number is three. So I am going to say that it means <laughs> okay. three things for me. Okay. It's the second time I've done that. First of all, inspired leadership to me means being genuine. That means showing up every day as your best self and letting those around you see that person. So genuine and transparent. Yeah. The second thing is being open to various perspectives and recognizing that every person around you sees things differently and that this adds value to your organization's culture mm -hmm. and that you actively seek out new viewpoints. It strengthens your team. There's a great quote about this. So I would end my point too with, you know, I think it's Abe Lincoln who's credited with saying, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. Oh, I like that. I do That's too. That's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the third thing is being open to change. Today's leaders, as I mentioned, have to accept that not only is change coming, but you might not be able to predict when it's going to arrive or what exactly it will be. And look, that's exciting and scary all at once. A good leader, an inspired leader, will need and use the strengths of the whole team to ride that wave. Your answer to what is inspired leadership is a perfect summary to what we talked about today. That diversity of opinions and perspectives is so important in today's fast-moving fast-changing workplace, but I think being receptive and open to that and being willing to learn without feeling like you're being challenged in a nefarious way, being open to the point where you can actually be critical of what it is that you've come up with or the way that your organization's been doing things for a while. Love your answer on that, Susanna. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. It's a nice summary. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you about this today. Well, I know that your perspectives are going to make a great deal of difference for our listeners. Thanks again for taking time out of your busy day to join us here on the show. You really are creating a ripple effect of inspired leaders all around you. I'm delighted to be working in this field, and this is a great city to be talking to leadership. Well, there it is. More great perspectives from another amazing leader and an accomplished person to help us become more inspiring leaders. I hope you found value in this interview, and I hope that you will tune in again. Don't forget to hit subscribe, and don't miss any future episodes of the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for checking us out today. Take care, and bye for now.